Hi, and welcome to Under an Open Heaven Podcast. We are glad you are joining us as we explore the reality of God's love expressed in Scripture and our own personal experiences. Thanks for joining us today as we explore the reality that we live under an open heaven. Enjoy! Hey, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Arthur Richardson. I have with me Stephen Anderson, and you are listening to Under an Open Heaven Podcast. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, yeah. So today, uh, Pope Francis in Joy of the Gospel is really going to be focusing on um, ownership and leadership of evangelization and like our missionary work. Um, and so those those are going to be the main themes that we're going to be talking about. And also just the content, like what are we actually giving to people when we're evangelizing? Um, and so, yeah. And so I think we left off at paragraph 32. So I'll just start a little bit there. Um, Pope Francis here, I'll read a little bit of it. He says, since I'm called to put into practice what I ask of others, I too think about the conversion of the papacy. Um, And so he goes on a little bit talking about how John Paul II um, wanted to start reforming the papacy in a way that doesn't give up what's essential to it, but that finds uh, not exactly a new role for it, but just just kind of a reformation of it um, to fit, fit the needs of the faithful today. Um, Pope Francis feels like there's been no progress in that regard. Um, And so a lot of what he's been doing lately, um, I think you could probably read in light of this paragraph. Um, Mm. And so later on, he he talks about how the Second Vatican Council says that uh, ancient patriarchal churches, Episcopal conferences, et cetera, et cetera, uh, play a role, too, in deciding things. Um, But he's like, but that hasn't happened yet. He says, yet this desire has not been fully realized since the juridical status of Episcopal conferences would have seen them as subjects of specific attributions, including genuine doctrinal authority, has not been sufficiently elaborated. He says instead that we have excessive centralization. Um, and he says, instead of proving helpful, it complicates the church's life. And I think you've seen this a lot over the last 500 years in the church. It just yeah. becomes more and more centralized. And it makes sense, especially with things like technology. It gets a lot easier for it to be centralized, Right. But if, if you compare the church to like, let's look, let's look at the Orthodox church, right? It's like, that's a very decentralized church. You know, like there's no Pope. Um, there's no like one leader. There's a first among equals, but, but like how many church councils has the Catholic church had in the last, you know, 500 years? I, I actually don't know the answer to that, but it, isn't it something at least like eight? Yeah, there's quite right? a few. There's um, quite a few. Whereas how many councils has have the Orthodox had? The answer is none because they just can't seem, or at least maybe they don't feel the need to, but they can't seem to get together and meet and agree on things. Um, and it's because they're so decentralized. And so if we want to look at a weakness of, of uh, decentralization, it's that like change can't really happen. You know, and that doesn't mean you're changing the absolute moral values and traditions of the church, but it just means that you can't really respond in a, in a missionary way. And look, I'm not trying to make this like a harp on Orthodox. I love our Orthodox brothers and sisters. But if we're going to look at the missionary life of Orthodoxy versus Catholicism, it's a very different attitude. Um, Whereas in Catholicism, you know, I I think the centralization has helped a little bit in that. Although I guess the opposite is true, too, because with with Protestantism, they're decentralized and... (laughs) They do very well with missionary work. So maybe it doesn't have anything to do with it. Maybe I'll just drop that point there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, but w- where I really think this comes in is in terms of uh, 
almost a form of clericalism. Yeah, just in terms of the way centralization relates to clericalism, uh, you know, and maybe this goes back to my point about Protestantism. It's like, what do you need to do missionary work as a Catholic? It's like a priest, right? If mm-hmm. it, Look at how Catholicism spread. Every country in the world except Korea, which is a really interesting exception to this, Catholicism has only spread pretty much, well, okay, I don't mean only, but it's primarily spread through um, people in religious orders and yep. priests, right? And so it's like priests and religious is how it's always spread. Uh, who's not, you know, this primary spread of it? It's like the people. But it's like, how did Christianity spread originally? It was the people. How does it spread a lot in Protestantism? It's the people, you know, they don't go mm-hmm. and get ordained and go spread it. It's like, they just go spread it because there's not this separation between oh, you're the religious person who's going to go do the work. It's not centralized. It's decentralized. It's we're all the missionaries who are going to go do the work. Mm-hmm. I bring up South Korea or Korea in general because they're the interesting exception. Um, there was a guy who went over to China, learned Catholicism in China, came over. He never got ordained or anything, and then spread a form of Catholicism which practiced itself without any priests for a long time. Hmm. And then, and then they finally got priests to come in and bishops, and they or, ordained some. And uh, just really interesting, really interesting stuff if you want to look into it. But um, yeah, maybe you want to talk a little bit about some of the clericalism and how it's affected our, our missionary attitude. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I heard kind of recently, um, and actually this is kind of interesting, I heard this from a Protestant source. Um, so what's ironic is that even within the Protestant church, which is decentralized, there is uh, this term coined of uh, narcissistic uh, pressure within the leadership. So there is a pressure within the the people that are joining, like the becoming pastors, if you will, of the Protestant church, who are you know essentially like. The people will go to them for their financial, marital, spiritual, scriptural, just in general, any help with discernment, right? They're the authority. That's what they put on them. And what's interesting is we do the same thing with our priests, that the people who lead both the Protestant and the Catholic churches, most of them, many of them, are not actually trained in their in business, in counseling, in, um, you know... <laughs> How to like, like, if especially within the Catholic world, um, most of our our priests, not all, but a high percentage of them within the the Roman Catholic faith, and um, it's by weird exceptions, uh, of, usually of conversion, that our priests are married. Most, almost all of our priests are not married, and in, in the Roman rite, anyway. So we're going to... I actually want to say something about that. Yeah. Um, I was reading, not that this is a, a great source or anything, but I was going through a Reddit thread the other week, and they were talking about um, like what, what dissuaded you... Uh, people, Men who were discerning relig- uh, religious life or priesthood, I think it was specifically about priesthood, what dissuaded you? Like What was like what made you not decide it? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe the topic was something else. Um, but... Maybe it was just like, why are people not becoming priests? And then um, the comments were, it's funny, people always say, and this is my point, people always say, oh, 
getting married or not is not a solution. Even the Pope said this, ironically, and we're talking about joy of the gospel here, so not to disagree with the Pope, but uh, uh, but maybe I will here. But he's like, you know, celibacy and marriage is not a stall for the priesthood. And I guess I agree with his overall point. It's not like it's just going to be a little solve. Um, but this Reddit thread with these people who were commenting, like 70% of the men in there were like, marriage, the fact that I couldn't get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's just like, okay, how, how can how can we say as a church that, oh, like we put blindfolds on and be like, oh, it has nothing to do with marriage. It's actually about materialism. It's actually about, it's like, no, we have really good men who want to be priests. We have really good people who are discerning. Mm-hmm. And and they're like, no, I, I also wanted to be married. And uh, if I had to pick one, that's the one I picked. And I feel like the church kind of, uh, and I don't mean I don't mean the church. I mean people in the church, kind of kid themselves by by acting like priesthood and marriage are two um, separate they're, things. They're two, they are two separate things, but they're not mutually exclusive callings. Mm-hmm. And people really don't like this. They think if the church has a rule about celibacy, that means God will only call you to one or the other. And it's mm-hmm. like. God isn't bending his call to the church's current, uh, you know, practices. Um, and so you can have deep within you this call to both marriage and the priesthood. And I think that's honestly most priests. And I think that's honestly a lot of married men. <clears throat> and I think that some of, I think that, you know, there's a, it's kind of like a Venn diagram. X amount of priests that are currently priests are only called the are called the celibacy because celibacy and marriage are the are the mutually exclusive callings, yep. not priesthood and marriage. And so you probably have X amount are called the celibacy and priesthood. X amount are called the marriage and priesthood. And mm-hmm. then the marriage and priesthood men, they just have to pick one. Um, yeah, uh, that was my thought. You can keep going. No, I completely agree with you. I think I'm one of those men who had a call to both priesthood and marriage, and I looked at how priesthood seminary is set up right now. And I said, I I don't want to be alone in this society. I do not want the pressures that are going to be put on me by the people. And this is kind of like where I'm getting back to, you know, we hear like, oh yeah, these, these leaders are narcissistic. They're horrible, blah, blah, blah. But we as a people expect that of our, of our priests, of our, for the Protestant world of their pastors. And they were saying like Protestants were saying this about Protestant culture. I'm not a Catholic commenting on Protestant culture. Uh, <laughs> I'm just repeating what I've heard. Um, so the, the point that I'm trying to make is from a Catholic's perspective, I completely agree with what they're saying within the Catholic world. There is this expectation that our leaders need to satisfy all of our needs. And I think that has led to a decrease in in how we spread the gospel, right? Because I think we raise up leaders to hide behind so that we don't have the responsibility to one, dive into our own souls. We're just guided. We don't have the responsibility to go out and learn new languages and meet new people and stretch ourselves and become um, God's instruments. We're safe. We're here. We can just work on our cultures. <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that's a danger 
that we face. And honestly, uh, just kind of going back to your point about priesthood and, and marriage not necessarily being exclusive, in the whole grand scheme of the church, I think it was like, this is kind of a fairly recent thing that was established. It culturally was a thing for a few hundred years before it became officially a thing, I think in like the 1200s or something like that. Um, so, I mean, a long time ago, yes, like 800, 900 years ago. But in the grand scheme of things, the church has been around for over 2000 years. You know, like this being a priest and being married, that wasn't mutually exclusive. Um, I, I think that's, that's such a cultural rule for us. You know, I think that like, it's important to know that there are people in communion with the Catholic faith who are priests, who are married, and that's a normal practice for them. And they're pretty much all in the Eastern rites. But I don't know. I think there is a level of there's a level of narcissism that's expected in our current culture for people to rise up as charismatic leaders. And it is deeply troubling to me. I think we who expect it need to own up and take ownership of our, of our spiritual life, of our mission to spread the gospel, of our mission to love our enemy and not just be led free willy uh, along the path without giving any concern about our most important requirement to discern our lives, you know, like on a day-to-day basis, like if we cannot discern, then we're not going to be able to spread the gospel, right? Because if we're dealing with somebody who is different, we need to discern how to make them feel safe so that they might receive the gospel. And if we're not doing that, I think that's highly problematic. So yeah, Yeah. I I, I think, thank you. Thank you. Um, why don't we uh, switch to this next section, which is uh, kind of a bigger section on um, it's part three. It's from the heart of the gospel, like eight paragraphs here. Mm-hmm. Um, we can just go through paragraph by paragraph, give some of our thoughts. Um, yeah. And so in 34, Pope Francis is talking about how uh, instant communication and media, you know, internet, everything, it's going to change how, um, and he says biased media, obviously he says it's going to change how, we evangelize. It's going to change how the message we preach gets distorted. It's kind of ironic that he says that considering that he's always the one getting distorted. <laughs> yes, so, I know. And and I think this was one of his first, was this the first encyclical he wrote? Yes, I think second? so. It was, one, it was one or two. Yeah, it was um, one or two. I don't remember. But it's just funny how he's, it's almost like he prophesied his own, <laughs> his own life as, as a Pope here, just constantly being distorted and taken out of context and everything by bias. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, the liberal media takes it and goes, oh, Pope Francis says that it's okay to do this. And then he's like, I didn't say that. And then the and then the super traditionalist media is like, oh, Pope Francis said it's okay to do that. And he's like, I still did not say that. <laughs> it's, just, it's actually funny that both sides seem to run with the same thing. And and it's like, mm-hmm. he's like, actually, I had a really nuanced point about how we have to look past this and blah, 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 and approach it different. Nobody wants the nuance, though. Um, no. But I think just it, in terms of the message of, uh, you know, our faith, we, um, it's just, it's just, 
you know, like look at media. Like when was the last time you saw a priest in a movie portrayed in a really respectful way? Right? Yeah. Or, you know, when was the last time that uh that you saw, you know, uh a belief of Christianity that was portrayed online in, in a respectful and nuanced way, you know? Whereas it's always it's always mockery. And so it's like in terms of our evangelization, we already have a caricature of Christianity that's set up. We have this little straw man. Mm -hmm. And the second you meet somebody and everybody who talks about missionary work and evangelization says this, the second you meet somebody and they find out you're Christian, you know, like they already have this idea of who you are set in their head and what you believe and your opinions and, and you know, how you live. And so that's actually like the first obstacle you have to overcome. So that's my thoughts about 34. What, what, you got anything? Yeah. I think it kind of bleeds into what we were saying earlier. There's a huge need for discernment, right? Kind of boiling it all back to that. There's a huge need for discernment because life is nuanced. Morality is nuanced. Yes, there are things that are black and white, but there's a lot of nuance in between. And I think there's a danger that we run into with expecting everything to be black and white, expecting the news to be unbiased and black and white truth and untruth and it's not you know so being able to discern encounter somebody who has all of these biases against christianity um or biases against catholicism in general uh having like this idea that all priests abuse children all priests do x y and z or all pastors do x y and z or all protestants do this or all conservative catholics do that or all liberal catholics do this or all you know what i mean like it's just getting past those biases with jesus i think takes discernment and a huge reliance upon the holy spirit i believe and i i have theological standing to believe this the holy spirit is the one who connects us all and the reason why I say that is because within the Trinity, you have the Father who begets the Son, and the Son who pours out his love to the Father. And it is said that it is the Holy Spirit who is the living love between the Father and the Son. So the Holy Spirit is essentially this connection. When you look at Scripture, whenever the Holy Spirit falls upon people, they are more connected to God and they are able to connect to their fellow brothers and sisters who are different. So if you look at the first coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, they immediately went out and started preaching the gospel. And there were pilgrims from all over the world who heard the gospel in their native tongue. The Holy Spirit branched the, the divide of language bridge that that divide of language i think if we are starting to rely upon the holy spirit that is the key that is the missionary key that will bridge the gaps of of the differences that we have you know like honestly i almost wonder if a language barrier is more easy to deal with than a political barrier in the americas right now you know but they're people. Yeah, for sure. They're people, right? Right. Like, this is this is crazy. Like, you talk to somebody and it's like, 
you can very quickly tell which side, political side they are on because they'll immediately say something like the liberals or the conservatives, you know, it's like, whoa. (laughs) And then the thing that they'll say right after is like, they're ruining the world and this is what they're doing. And, you know, they have this belief. uh, In the last, there's, there's been a, um, you know, like, I don't know about studies, but basically your marriage is more likely to succeed if you're a different religion uh, than if you're a different faith. Or sorry, if you're a different faith or religion than if you're a different politics. Yeah. And uh, it just goes to show how how politics has become the new religion. It's like people don't care about the religion anymore. People don't care about what ethnicity you are or what place. And, and not that those are bad things. I think actually in, in many ways those are good things. But it just shows how negative the, pol- the political aspect has become. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm going to even throw it out this way. It's more of like what news group you listen to right and that there's also a lot of cultural stuff there too you know but i don't know it's we're so quick we're so quick to villainize the other side now granted we're all human we all make mistakes we all do stupid stuff um and there are bad movements you know like we're i'm not going to deny that but Jesus told us to love our enemies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I don't know what that looks like for you. And I, you know, that that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to get at is like, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that looks like for me in every single moment, in every single situation. It is the Holy spirit who is the missionary key. And it's not the, the Holy spirit is not the missionary key to bring somebody into the conservative party or the liberal party. Holy Spirit is the missionary key to draw somebody into the gospel, which is above above all political parties. Politics exists for the sole purpose that we all might be able to live a good, happy life in the country that we exist in. That's it. So obviously everybody's going to have different ideas of how that's going to look, depending on their social class, their money, what have you. So there's of course going to be differences and people are going to feel very differently about that because they're wanting, they're going to want to, especially outside of religion, outside of the Christian understanding of, you know, uh, bringing heaven to earth. (laughs) They're going to want to try to maintain and keep their social status, whatever it is, or increase their social status. So I'm not talking like, solving political problems here. I'm saying invite the Holy spirit in to bridge those gaps so that C can fall hopefully on the best ground that we can possibly put it in. You know, even if we're putting, putting seed into ground that has weeds in it rather than on the path, that is at least a better step. (laughs) And the, the, roots of the gospel have a better chance to grow even if there are weeds in that person's heart right and that's kind of what i'm trying to get at Stephen, do you have any thoughts on that this um in a really weird roundabout way reminds me of uh that movie we watched silence about the missionaries in japan oh and, dude and yeah weeds and, so and and the the evil japanese character in the show who's like the inspector persecuting all the christians says uh Japan's like a swamp. It's like the yeah. faith can't grow there. Um, yeah. 
but I don't know why. So there's a line in here by Pope Francis, which also reminded me of a line from that movie, which was, um, you are a about, bad priest. Yeah. He, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he talks about how, um, St. Thomas Aquinas says that there's a hierarchy of virtues and acts and, and says that the most important one is faith working through love. Mm-hmm. And there's just a line in that movie where he says something like, uh, there's like a, one of the Japanese Christians who's like struggling, um, you know, the the priest tells him, you know, you know, just have faith. And he's like, um, I have, I have love. I know I have love. I struggle with faith, I, but I know I have love. Can that be the same as faith? Like, can having great love be the same as faith? And the priest is like, yeah, I think I can. So I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really have to do with anything, but it was just a line that I really liked that I thought of. But um, just this imbalance in what we're actually preaching uh, and in a lot of ways, just to talk about the papacy again, just because Pope Francis is writing this, um, a lot of people were harping on him, especially in the early days, because they're like, why, why are you only talking about this stuff and not the other stuff? And he's like, A, I'm not only talking about this stuff and not the other stuff. He's like, and B, uh, it's because the church has kind of been a little obsessed over the last 20 years. So like, a lot of people are like, why, Pope Francis, why aren't you talking about abortion and gay marriage constantly? <laughs> And mm-hmm. he's like, um, I, I do mention them, um, but, you know, we kind of talked about them 80% of the time since 1980, you know, for like the last 30 years. And he's like, so maybe it's time that we pivot a little bit in our focus and talk about these things that we haven't been talking about as much. And of course, liberals take that as a sign of like, hey, gay marriage and abortion are fine now. <laughs> and then conservatives are like, he's okay with both of them. He's a heretic. And it's like, are we missing the point here? Um, yes, yes, we but- are. Yeah, uh, but yeah, just just this imbalance. And so in paragraph 38, it kind of talks about that. And he says, you know, if a priest in a liturgical year is preaching about temperance 10 times, but only mentions charity or justice two times, there's an imbalance in what, in what you're preaching and what you're spreading. And I think in terms of like when we're trying to like evangelize other people, like there's this idea or focus of like what you're trying to give them. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's very like imbalanced or at the very least it can seem imbalanced by the other person. Right, and yeah. it's like, like, what, like, what, what's the goal here? And obviously, he's going to constantly remind us that the goal is to have them get an encounter with Jesus Christ. But you know, he's quoting Thomas Aquinas and saying, "Well, well, like, the main thing you should be spreading is is love, right?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, and and that's through actions, just faith working through love. And so it's like, how are you embodying Jesus, and how are you in helping that person have an encounter with Jesus? And you know, a lot of the times we're like, oh, we have to fix this other person. Or we have to make sure they turn away from X or Y sin, or we got to do this. You know, that's like that's like the the first gate before they can be evangelized. And kind of like we were talking about yesterday, it's like sometimes they have to be evangelized first before they can even go through those gates. And so, oh, for I was sure. talking to a, a priest where I used to work, and you know, you know, there were students who were in particular, you know, uh, states of sin or lifestyles, and 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 you know, most priests would be like, yeah. Uh, you know, don't bother coming to, you know, put those things aside before you come to adoration nights. You know, you're, you're going to scandalize people or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll try to have a talk with them and they'll try to get them to put those things aside first. Whereas, you know, this priest was like, actually, let's just try to get them to encounter Jesus as much as possible. And then, and, and not say that what you're doing is okay, but we're not going to harp on you constantly. You know, like, if you're like, oh, yeah, come to Adoration Night, and then we're going to talk, and then we're going to talk about why what you're doing is wrong. 
constantly. It's like, well, it, you're going to make the person feel like you're just trying to like fix them. And it's like, you're not here to fix the person. You're here to get them to encounter God. God can fix the person. And you're there to be the truth that's going to let them know, like, hey, moving forward, if you want to grow closer to God, you might want to give this up. Or you might want to start doing this. And then they'll be like, oh, okay. But, you know, it's like, have it, have it be that primary encounter with God, right? Don't, don't try to just spread your, you know, your one or two truths that you think are the most important, which aren't in line with, with what, you know, Aquinas is saying is important here. So, yeah. I don't know. That's my thoughts on 37 and 38. How about you, I, I, I love what you just said. Um, I'm going to kind of point out a few things that we often make mistakes on doing. Um, and I guess I'm going to start off with my own observations of myself and of other people, especially when I, I noticed this the most when I was um, a missionary. So when I was like giving talks, like literally all the time when I heard other people giving talks all the time. And when I would hear like our chaplain or whatever, you know, people that I knew pretty well, I realized that the theme of whatever the person was giving a talk on, it had more to do with themselves or whenever they were talking to somebody else, trying to help them out, it had more to do with themselves than it did with the other person. So when we're trying, I think my theory is that when we're trying to, you know, maybe quote unquote, help the person get out of sin, it's because it has more to do with us than it does with them. Whether it be it, that sin makes us uncomfortable, um, or you know whatever the myriad of reasons might be, you know, <sighs> that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I think you kind of touched on this. I'm really going to hit it home. Uh, we oftentimes, when we approach somebody else about their sins, when they're coming to God we leave out the possibility that God might try to slowly work on their hearts to let them give up something. And it might start with something small that they can handle, right? So many of us, <laughs> so many of us assume that it has to be us. When maybe all we have to do is go to the person, if that's the role that we're in, and say, hey, how was adoration? Like, what did God say to you? Did he ask you to give anything up? Did he tell you anything? Did he show you that he loves you? What does that make you want to do in response? Asking those types of questions, you're probably going to get them to one, think and reflect on what they experience. But also number two, they're a lot more likely to listen to the voice of the Lord of giving up maybe a few different things in order to prep for that big thing. Like, let's say, let's say they, um, they have an addiction to pornography or some other sexual sin that we know about that we want them to give up. Okay. They might need to give up first an addiction to video games or in a, uh, they might need to give up, um, you know, anger before they're able to hand over lust. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things that people are probably dealing with that maybe God wants them and us to remove first. I mean, I look back on my own life and I realized that I would go through frustration because I wouldn't be able to root out some sin in my life and I would go to God and I'd hear him whisper, that's not the thing I want you to focus on right now. 
way to focus on this sin. And I would think, but that's not that big of a sin. What I didn't realize is that he was prepping me to handle those bigger ones. He was helping me train. You know, you, you, you think of it in uh, the sense of working out, right? You don't go to the gym and just bench 300 pounds. You might go to the gym and if it's your first time, you might bench the bar, which is like 45 pounds, or you might bench 100 pounds or something like that. And it's going to take a long time of building and working at that 100 pounds before you're able to get up to 150, before you're able to get to 200. It's a whole process, right? So assuming that we can approach somebody and say, all right, knock out the biggest sin in your life, the thing that you're the most attached to in order to come to Jesus, that is preposterous. And we're assuming that we know how God wants to work with them. Did we consult him? I wonder. I don't know. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. I know in my past when I would approach people and say, I made that mistake of like saying, maybe God wants you to get rid of this sin. I didn't really con- consult him. I just knew it was objectively bad. You know? So that, that's kind of what I got to add on that. I like what you have there. Yeah. Maybe we can uh, wrap this up with this overall theme, or at least I saw a comment about it the other day that Pope Francis said that we shouldn't be proselytizing, we should be evangelizing. Mm. And there was a whole debate about what that meant, and people were attacking him saying, you know, like, what do you mean we shouldn't be proselytizing? And, you know, he's saying the whole point is that, you know, we shouldn't be making numbers. We shouldn't be getting people to, like, start wearing the flag of Christianity, becoming team Christian, you know. And, and I think a lot of people who really idolize the past in the church, especially mm-hmm. like the middle ages and stuff, or maybe like the, the Renaissance era, yeah. you know, they kind of look at that as like this golden age. But I think, you know, if anything, it was more like, we just had more people wearing team Christianity, right? We had yeah. more people wearing team Catholicism, but like, were they actually living it? Did society actually look radically Christian? And, you know, they didn't have the issues that we have today and that are unique to today, but it's like, you know, was it, you know, in some ways it was better, in some ways it was worse. And I don't think it was necessarily that I looked at golden era. And so, you know, just like when we're evangelizing, are we trying to get them to become team Christian? And I think in a lot of ways we are. And we're just like, why don't you give those things up, start doing these things, and then be team Christian, and then I'm good to go, and I'm satisfied with my work here. And mm-hmm. uh, and first of all, that doesn't work, and it's empty. And uh, second of all, like, it's not... That's not what God wants, you know. Again, going back to that encounter, it's evangelization means getting somebody to have an encounter with God. Proselytization means getting somebody to become your team. Yep. Right. And so, our, if we're focused on how do we get them as the team, then we're going to end up with all the all the weird things. But if we're that that are just empty. But if we're focused on actually trying to evangelize and have them have an encounter with God well, then there's going to be some radical transformation at some point somewhere with that, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's the overall theme that he's going for here. Um, yeah. I, I know you said you did this in the past with podcasts, but do we want to maybe have like a, like a challenge for yeah. ourselves and for other people this week? And the, what came to mind for me was um, to maybe think of, you know, it doesn't have to be a person per se, but like one like encounter, like, let's have this theme of encounter, because Pope Francis is all about this theme of encounter early in his papacy, right? It's like, 
why don't you think of, of one encounter? It could be at work, encounters you have at work. It could be encounters you have at your own home. It could be encounters you have with friends somewhere. Think of an encounter and think about how you could embody Aquinas's top hierarchy, faith working through love, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to preach it, the gospel. Um, it also doesn't mean you need to stay silent about it. You know, if there's mm-hmm. an opportunity, you know, obviously bring it up. But it's just like, think of one encounter that you have where you could embody love, faith being, you know, faith working through love. You know, just think about what your conscience is calling you to do. You know, like, I don't know about you, but like, I've had a lot of times where I'm sitting in a situation and I'm just like, I feel like this is the part where I should say something. I feel like this Mm -hmm. is the part where I should step forward and do something. And then you don't, you know, but it's like, how, how could you go over the top? How could you be that extra faith working through love and maybe move somebody, you know, and maybe be that that opportunity that somebody could encounter God for that day. So I don't, I don't know. I'd, I would, I'm going to have to think about that all week, but maybe next week we can let podcast know not to grandstand, but just, I don't know, maybe an example if we come up with one. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to color that a little bit, a little bit further. Um, so we can maybe flex that uh, and work out that discernment a bit. But once you've, discerned or figured out that there is a situation that God might be calling you to something, ask him, what is it? Don't just try to come up with it on your own and just do the good work or just like power through it. But ask the, ask the Holy spirit, say, come Holy spirit. It can be quietly. What is it that you want me to do or say in this moment? And how do you want me to do or say this? Please give me the, the power and the ambition to do it. You know, I think that that will help us out so much, you know, and really just discernment is just taking a minute and listening to what the Holy Spirit says. And I guarantee you, guarantee you with enough practice, you will hear his voice. And if you're not hearing his voice, that's okay. Take a step back and say, Is there anyone I need to forgive or is there anything you want me to get rid of right now in order so that I can hear your voice? And I'm sure you will hear his voice. (laughs) Um, Yeah. All right. So with that, let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, we praise you. We thank you. We honor you that you are good, that you are God. We honor you that you are a God of empowerment, a God of connection, and that you have not left us dry, that you have not left us alone, and you have not left us to the whims of our narcissistic cravings and desires. Father, we ask for liberation. We ask for a life of abundance. We ask that your good news, your evangelization power floods through our church floods through our minds, floods through our listeners, and that we can see revival happen. Come Holy Spirit, we ask for freedom from sin in all the areas of our lives that you want, the timing that you want. Help us to rely on you for our freedom from sin. Don't let us believe that we can do it on our own. That is through our own power that we're able to not sin, Lord, help us raise our eyes away from even just the sin aspect 
and focus on the love. So rather than focus on where we fail, but focus on where we can love, where we can succeed. Help us see your movements, your works today. Thank you, Jesus, because you are good and you have given us eternal life. You died that all might be saved. Help us fall in love with every single person that you died to save. Help us to extend that safety, to extend that love to other people that they might receive your kindness, your mercy, that they might grow. God, we ask for courage because this is hard. We give you our little lives. We offer them as an offering, a holy, living sacrifice. And may your name be glorified. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week. Take care and God bless. Bye. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. We hope that this podcast blessed you. And we ask if it did, share that with the people that you love so that it can bless them as well. If you want to reach out to us, we are available on Facebook. We are under an open heaven. Our email address is under an open heaven dot fire at gmail.com. And we are on Instagram at under an open heaven dot fire. So Please go uh, give those a gander and send us any th- any feedback that you want. We would be happy to reply to you. God bless. Bye.